Hey, it's Meatball. And Mark. And this is the Rocker Morning Show on demand from 107.7 RKR. This is the best of the Rocker Morning Show with Meatball and Mark. Very special guest on the Rocker Morning Show. Joining us today, the host and main star of Pawn Stars now entering their 20th season and host of the new show, Pawn Stars Do America. Welcome to the show, Rick Harrison. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. How you doing, Rick? Living the dream. Oh, My yeah. life's amazing. <laughs> Quite literally. <laughs> Rick Harrison, welcome to the Rocker Morning Show, obviously known for the smash hit on History Channel. Pawn Stars, it's been 13 years since the TV show started. Now you guys are literally taking the show on the road with Pawn Stars Do America with Corey and Chum. It's got to be an exciting new chapter for you and the boys, huh? I know, yeah. It's, uh, well, you know, we wrapped season 19 in April, and we're thinking, like, you know, we got to do wow. something really special for season 20. Yeah. We came up with this idea where it's going to be, it was going to be called the Pawn Stars Roadshow, but then... Um, <laughs> right. You know, we had to change it. Yeah. <laughs> Little issue there with that one. For reasons. <laughs> well, yeah, it was like the Pawn Stars, you know, Pawn Stars, you think, you know, they do America. But I was also thinking, of Corey and Chum and Beavis and Butthead. Right, exactly. <laughs> that's what I thought of. That's As soon as I saw Pawn Stars do America, I was like, that's got to be the Beavis and Butthead reference right there. That's got to be it. <laughs> what are you doing with this season that's different? Obviously, you're hitting the road, but are you guys like going into different pawn shops around the country, or are you going into people's own places? Big event in every city where people just line up uh, with all their crazy stuff, oh. and I got a... It's me, Corey, and Sean. Plus, I have staff for the pawn shop because uh, people are showing up with a lot of stuff. I mean, uh, one day we were supposed to be done at 6 o'clock. We were done at midnight. Oh, my gosh. People just <laughs> helping people, yeah. I was thinking about the show, too, and I'm like, that's so hard because when you're in your storefront and you've got people bringing goods to you, you've got all the paperwork there. But being on the fly, a lot of money being transferred and everything, I'm sure that, that just kind of complicates the situation. Well, I mean, the money thing on the road was, uh, yeah, was uh, it was just a little difficult trying to sign up people for PayPal who don't have PayPal. And they're like, no, you're not. Getting, I'm not bringing like all this money in cash with me. Right, yeah, so like, right. right. Uh, so you got a 70 year old guy there going like, oh, this is how you do PayPal. Yeah. <laughs> that was a walk in the park. I'm like trying to teach my mother how to use Venmo. That's been fun. <laughs> did you guys find your way over to Michigan? We did not do Michigan. We did uh, Denver, Seattle, San Francisco. Pennsylvania, Washington, D.C., Savannah, Georgia, Austin, Texas, and North Carolina. Okay. That's sweet. Yeah, I know there's eight episodes, but they're all running two hours long. I imagine there's got to be a, a lot of fines that you guys had to sift through. Um, yeah, I mean, it was um, it was crazy the amount of stuff that was showing up at every show. I mean, um, I mean, we, I mean, like the show just has got a lot of really cool stuff, but then we got, there was like, remember, this is like people randomly showing up with that box, that trinket that grandma gave him that said it was like priceless and like that so i mean all day long he's like sorry sorry yeah, sorry yeah. sorry now are there things that you found doing this on the road that you think maybe you would have never had a chance to see in your shop in vegas like maybe it was either too big or too regional to take out there well yeah i mean because a lot of stuff people brought out because they were just curious they didn't even know if it was worth any money okay you know, they're not going to come to vegas for it and uh you know there's also some big things i bought a few cars uh i bought some cars and things like that that would have never showed up in vegas and uh, uh just a lot of really neat stuff if you just joined us we are talking to the star of pawn stars rick harrison about his new show pawn stars do america was there anything that like kind of amazed you maybe in one location yeah there was a lot of stuff i mean one person had uh their great 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 grandfather um was an admiral in the United States Navy and uh, had his original commission signed by uh, Andrew uh, Jackson Whoa. when he was a lieutenant. Wow. 
Then they had the next commission when he became a commander signed by, by Franklin Pierce and then a captain uh, a few years later by, signed by Franklin Pierce. And then when he became a Commodore, that commission signed by uh, Abraham Lincoln. And then oh when he became God. an admiral signed by uh, Andrew Johnson. I mean, they had all the... All their military commissions. Um, it just told a, told an amazing story. Um, I got those. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, they originally wanted like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and it got down to four figures. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow, man! Now, from this new series, how often was it that you found something you really wanted, but the the owner just wouldn't budge on the price? That happens all the time. Well, you know, a lot of people. This roadshow thing we did, like I'm. I'm t- probably 75% of people just want to know what it was worth. You know, hey, we just go down there and get a free appraisal. Yeah, um, pretty much. But it made great TV. Very cool. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. And, and something I, I really do love about the show, you know, what about you guys, is, is everyone seems to know at least a little bit about a lot, which I'm sure comes in handy with, you know, the work that you guys are in. Was that something that, that you and the staff kind of acquired over time at the shop, or was it kind of pre-pawn shop interest, like the history and collectibles that kind of lent you into the business? I mean, well, I mean I've been buying and selling stuff since I was 13 years old, mm. and uh, I've had a pawn shop for 34 years now, and I'm a super nerd, by the way. It's like, <laughs> don't ask me anything about popular culture, uh, because I won't know. Right. I mean, the Kardashians could sit down next to me at a bar, and I would have no idea who they were. <laughs> the history stuff in particular, because I always, I always gravitate towards that, especially since it's, you know, on the History Channel and stuff, but like, those history things, was that something that you really gravitated towards? Oh, yeah. I mean, so like I said, I'm a, that super nerd. I mean, like, yeah. that joke I've been saying for years. I mean, like, I read the history of batteries twice, and that's not a joke. <laughs> I really did that. Like, Oh, my gosh. That's great. Now, when you aren't sure on something, though, in, in especially in Pawn Stars, you call in a specialist. How are you able to have an expert in almost every field? Does that just come with being in the industry for so long? It comes with being in the industry. Okay. Like, uh, when I'm not doing, pawn, you know, when I'm not doing Pawn Stars, I'll just text some pictures, but like, uh, we have an idea about something, something coming in the store, I'll have them there to check it out. So the, uh, you know, I don't know everything. And like, so all the, these are all people I've done business with for years and years and years. What's the most obnoxious thing that's come through the doors so far at Pawn Stars? Uh, see the weirdest thing. Okay, so this was probably like 10 years ago. Okay. Guy walks in the store with seven human skulls in a double bag. Oh my God! <laughs> no! <laughs> no! Okay, so apparently... So apparently he went to a, it was in the Midwest, there was a devil school and they had an, they auctioned off all their old stuff because I, I guess they use like plastic skulls now and he bought a box full of stuff and they had these skulls in it and um, he wanted to sell it to me. I'm like, yeah, I, mean, I look at the guy and go, you've seen my show, you know, like when I said, let's do some paperwork. That paperwork involves filling out a little police report and sending it to, you know, the cops and what I bought. Okay. And even though you have all these receipts and everything, my shop will be shut down for two days. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like, what do you want to sign the paperwork in blood? But <laughs> <laughs> literally, that's seven humans. I'm going. That's first off, it's super creepy. Even if I was going to be a nightmare, I wouldn't want them. Oh. Yeah, I mean, these guys could be serial killers or something. Sure. You know? So uh, that was like that was the weirdest moment ever. Like seven human skulls in a duffel bag. What would you put? They really were in a duffel bag. What would oh, you put oh. on the sticker if you ended up on the shelf? It just says seven human skulls for for sale. <laughs> Complimentary duffel bag. <laughs> Free carrying case. Like, oh. sir, that's a double yeah. bag. <laughs> yeah. You want to catch this full interview with Rick Harrison? It's up there on demand right now on the Rocker app. Download it right now. Live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 and on demand in the Rocker app. It's the best of the Rocker Morning Show on 1077 RKR. 
This is the best of the Rocker Morning Show with Meatball and Mark. Welcome to the Rocker Morning Show, Henry Winkler. What a pleasure. Now, I have to ask you. Okay. Your mother wrote Meatball <laughs> on your birth certificate? She didn't. I, um... I, I, I adopted it. I can erase it. <laughs> Let's just say there was whiteout involved. <laughs> there was whiteout involved. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Henry, I really appreciate you enjoy, uh, uh, joining us this morning on the Rocker Morning Show. It's an absolute pleasure to get to speak with you, man. All right. I, no, no, I need to, to follow this through. Now, okay, my okay. favorite sandwich is the sandwich the day after Thanksgiving on Wonder Bread. Oh, fantastic. That was my first question. Oh, my God. And my second favorite sandwich is a meatball hero (laughs) with mozzarella and extra sauce. A really good tuna sandwich. Oh, yeah. I put a little hot sauce, a little mayonnaise, a little ketchup. Now, what kind of hot sauce are you you using? Is it crystals? Uh, You know, uh, Tabasco. Okay, just straight up Tabasco. I can respect that. (laughs) <laughs> Straight up Tabasco. No celery. No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah, I, you know what? It, 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 it offends me to keep celery in my refrigerator. There are no calories. Right. You know? We're chewing for no reason. And it's just, it, it's such a weird texture, too. I'm a, I'm a texture eater. So, like, the idea of eating a vegetable that has nothing but water in it and has the texture of hair, like, just really is unappetizing, you know? I'm with you. I'm telling you. <laughs> It, it, uh, I, I don't even look at it in a grocery store. Right. If I am going to eat it, it's got to be just completely drenched in peanut butter. And at that point, it's not, it, it's pointless yeah, well, in eating it. Anyway. It's cream cheese. Oh, just as good. Just as good, man. <laughs> Otherwise, um, I don't even say the name. Right. Right. Well, we'll, 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 we'll step away from the celery then. We'll just, we'll just pretend okay. like that didn't happen. <laughs> Well, hey, uh, welcome to the Rocker Morning Show. We appreciate your time. Um, you have an event coming up, uh, which is why we're talking to you. GalaxyCon virtual meet and greet is actually this Saturday. You're doing uh, one-on-one interviews with, with fans. You're signing autographs for them. How much do you enjoy doing these fan events? And at what point do you get tired of them walking up to you and going, hey, all the time? Okay, I never get tired because, <laughs> honestly, half the circle is me doing the job. Right, right. Is me creating the character, um, uh, doing the series. The other half of the circle are the people who watch. Sure. If they don't watch, I go home, sit in my garden, and twiddle my thumb. <laughs> exactly. So at a, at a Galaxy Con, usually I travel around the world, uh-huh. and I meet the people eye to eye. Right. And this is the second best thing, because... They sign up. We spend time together. They can have their whole family in front of their screen. Oh, that's great. Their pets. I meet their pets. <laughs> they meet my pets. <laughs> they have questions. I get to ask people um, stuff about them. And I, it's really lovely. And I don't leave the screen uh-huh. until I've talked to every person who has signed up to meet me. Needless to say, you have a blast doing these things. I do. One of the things that uh, that you've done, obviously the most iconic thing that you've done uh, was playing the Fonz in Happy Days. Touched so many right. lives, you know, throughout the generations. 
we're living in a in an odd time of television and movies right now where everything seems to be you know getting rebooted or updated or like it's you know the kids of the you know the original cast and stuff would you how would you react if somebody came to you and said hey we're considering doing a happy days reboot do you know what it i would play of course the Fonz as a grandfather sure so i would get to pass on what it's like being cool to a very younger generation. Right, right. You know, my my grandsons uh, wear a T-shirt with my picture on it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but it would have to be really funny and really well done just right. to do it. Right. Uh, doesn't interest me at all. But teaching teaching the kids, like, one, what a jukebox is, and two, how to, you know, hit it just right to play. You know. I mean, can you imagine passing <laughs> on, hitting the jukebox and playing in the still of the night? Oh, come on. <laughs> they would have no, children now, these days the would have no idea what's happening. I, I, the one thing I don't say uh-huh. is that anybody can hit the jukebox right. as long as there is a man named Fred <laughs> behind the wall <laughs> plugging it in. Right. <laughs> So my my generation, you know, grew up probably yeah. best knowing you for the Adam Sandler movies that you worked in, like Waterboy and Click. How did yeah. you know you and Adam seem to have a really tight relationship? How did that how did that start? I just saw Adam two weeks ago. He just did a wonderful movie on uh, on uh, I think it's on Netflix uh-huh. called Hustle. Yeah, where he is a devotee of sports. He loves sports. Yeah. And he asked me, called me up and asked me if I would interview him in front of 500 SAG members who had just seen the movie Hustle. And uh, so I I love him. I respect him. I am shocked by the way he dresses. (laughs) I consider him a fashion icon, honestly. He is a fashion icon. Uh, he really is. If you sleep in a subway bathroom, <laughs> how did you connect with him initially? How did you start working with him? I I I, I seeked out his number. Okay. Because I was in the Hanukkah song. Oh right. And I called him. You know, and in the beginning, uh, when I was playing the Fonz. Uh, I just thought that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. And then from there, he invited me to his house on Sundays. Uh-huh. He used to play basketball with all his friends. Right. And I don't play sports. I have no good eye-hand coordination because I'm dyslexic. Right, right. And he invited me, and then he invited me to be in the movie Waterboy. And I did, I think I did five movies after that. Yeah. Yeah, you guys have, uh, you built, built a... Uh Seems like a wonderful friendship between the two of you, and and really, he's a terrific, terrific guy. Yeah, Henry, I really appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much for this. Meatball, I'm gonna come back to you one day. All right, we'll see you then, Henry. Thank you again. Live weekday mornings from six to ten, and on demand in the Rocker app. It's the best of the Rocker Morning Show on 107.7 RKR. 
This is the best of the Rocker Morning Show with Meatball and Mark. Joined right now by a special guest, host of Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction, and Commander William Riker from Star Trek. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Rocker Morning Show, Jonathan Frakes. Mark and Meatball, good morning. Good morning, good morning sir. How are you? Never better. What's up? Fantastic. Really appreciate you hanging out with us on the Rocker Morning Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a this is a big honor for me. And actually, I, this I've been a, a Star Trek fan for a long time. My my mother introduced it to me, and I promised myself and my mother if I ever got to talk to you, I would ask this question because I've always been curious. Okay. Shoot. The leg move that William Riker does over the chair. Is that something, oh is that, is that, <laughs> is that something that was written into the script or was that something you added to that character? It wasn't written into the script and <laughs> I gotta say, it's kind of an asshole move, isn't it? To <laughs> Somebody compiled a, uh, a little YouTube collection of all the times I allegedly <laughs> did it, which made it only seem more absurd. <laughs> I won't say I'm proud of it, but I'm glad that it's become a popular. <laughs> well, I was I was wondering if it was on purpose. You and, and that character and Captain Picard, almost like yin and yang, polar opposite kind of characters. Because like, oh, yeah. you know, Picard was very rigid and stiff in his chair. And then, you know, number one, never sat straight in his chair ever. And I wonder if that was, I always wondered if that was on purpose. I think there was a lot of yin and yang. I think that was a physical choice. But the, the, the just stepping over the chair, you got to measure that up first. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. Now, as a as a fellow brass player, too, uh, you know, I was excited as a kid to see you break out the trombone on the show, too. And I know, like, all the characters kind of had their own hobbies that they got to feature on the show. Was that something you were already doing, or is that something written in for the character of Riker as well? Well, Morris Hurley, late great writer of, uh, I think it was during season one, took me to lunch and we had a long lunch and he asked me about what I talked about baseball I talked about jazz I talked about the trombone and then fast forward about a month Riker's in the holodeck with Minuet playing the trombone so it's something I I was given the trombone in fourth grade uh -huh. in Jefferson Elementary School in Bethlehem Pennsylvania because I had long arms and that's how they determined what <laughs> instrument went to whom so the the old used trombone from the Jefferson Elementary School I started on and then I stayed with it all through uh I still play. So it was a very smart choice to ask people to do things that they actually do in real life because musicians really hate it when <laughs> they see people who can't play pretending right. to play. Right. And you're still in the Star Trek universe. You recently directed a couple episodes of Star Trek Picard, which is returning for a third season. How exciting was it to step back into that creative role in the Trek universe? Well, Picard has been a real blessing. I did two more episodes this year as a director, but... I think more significantly for the fans, the cast from Next Generation is a huge part of the Star Trek Picard season three mm -hmm. story. So there's a lot to look forward to. It drops on February 16th on Paramount Plus, just Sweet. to plug Star Trek Picard. <laughs> and I also, I just finished the first half of the finale of Star Trek Discovery season five. Oh, great. I did a wonderful crossover episode on Star Trek Strange New Worlds where the uh, animated characters from Lower Decks yeah, join the company of Strange the World. So I'm quite grateful to be <laughs> part of the next next generation of sure. uh, Star Trek. If you're just joining us, we are hanging out with Jonathan Frakes, who played Commander William Riker and was the host of Beyond Belief, celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. It's very cool how widespread the Star Trek universe has now become, especially with you know platforms like Paramount Plus. Before you got in to like Next Generation, were you much of a, a Trekkie with the original 
series? I wasn't. When I was auditioning for the show, my wonderful wife, Jeannie, said this is a big deal. She used to have a, a poster of uh, Shatner or Kirk on her wall as a <laughs> right, child. So right. she, was, she was a much bigger trekker than I. And uh, believe me, I learned what a phenomenal family is to be a member of we're coming up on the 25th anniversary too of beyond belief which is a show that i gripped the surface of when i was younger but it wasn't until recently that i was able to go back and experience these episodes uh, you joined beyond belief in season two which is uh, for me anyway when the show really began uh, <laughs> even though season one was great it really felt like this was the perfect role for you is this something you sought out i was asked to do it I think in my uh, capacity as the official spokesperson for the paranormal. Okay, <laughs> all right. Perfect. <laughs> and a couple of these type, I did a show called Alien Autopsy, Factor Fiction, and Paranormal Borderline and all. So it was a genre that I was invited into because of Star Trek, I'm sure, yeah. and my healthy relationship with all things alien, and because they couldn't afford Patrick Stewart. So it was a... <laughs> I'm going to have to look into these because I've never seen these before. Even more fun than trying to guess if the stories were actually based on true events or if they were fake. Your puns at the end of the episode. Well, those were genius. Oh, my were, God, dude. Very, they are my favorite very, part. <laughs> mine, too. Mine, too. And it's everybody's favorite part. And those puns became memes. And I think the memes recreated an interest in the show 25 years later. Oh, my God. Barry Edelman wrote them. We call them the Edelmans at the end of the show. Yeah. I actually just did an eight-episode season for Germany of a spin. I guess it's a spinoff. It's called X Factor. Okay. The impossible. It's beyond belief. Exactly the same format. A lot of smoke in the room. Me in a black suit walking around with an absurd prop. Thing. <laughs> Have you ever been to a Chinese restaurant? Or you know, it's just the smirk gets me every time. Did you write those yourself? No, that's what I'm saying. They're oh called the Edelman. All that stuff. Oh, that's that so great. great. <laughs> you sold it perfectly. I'm, I'm with Mark, though. It's not so much even just the delivery of him, which was masterful. It's the smirk. It's that it's that William Riker almost kind of smirk at the end, I think, that just landed him every time. Before we let you go, since it's one of my favorite parts of any show ever, uh, do you mind if I end this interview the way you did Beyond Belief with a pun and get your reaction? Please do. All right, here we go. In the story of the interview with Meatball and Mark... Will it rank as Jonathan Frake's number one? Or will his memory of it turn the dial beyond belief? What say you, Jonathan Frakes? Fact or fiction? That's what we're asking you, is it? Oh, man. Celebrating 25 years of Beyond Belief. Uh, helping raising funds for pancreatic cancer patients. Pancan.org. New season of Picard coming out for uh, Paramount Plus in February. Jonathan Frakes, we really appreciate your time today on the Rocker Morning Show. The pleasure's mine, Mark and Meatball. You want to get the full interview with Jonathan Frakes, you know what it is. On demand right now on the Rocker app. Download it. Live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 and on demand in the Rocker app. It's the best of the Rocker Morning Show on 107.7 RKR. This is the best of the Rocker Morning Show with Meatball and Mark. Kevin Nealon, how are you, man? I'm doing great, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. No, we, we really appreciate your time, man. Actor, comedian, SNL alumni, and now officially an artist and published uh, author for a book. Welcome to the Rocker Morning Show, Kevin Nealon. Great to be here, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it talking about all this stuff same here dude you know we just talked to phil rosenthal last week who put out the series somebody feed phil and you were on one of the episodes to give a joke for max how do you and phil know each other 
Oh, wow. I've known Phil. It's funny that I should know him because this is almost like a separate life from me from, <laughs> you know, back in the um, 80s and 90s when he had Everybody Loves Raymond. Right. Yeah. And and I and I knew of him back then. I thought this guy's a big producer, you know, a show creator or a showrunner and, you know, very successful. And now I'm friends with him. <laughs> and it's like I, 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 it's hard to fathom that I'm friends with this guy that <laughs> I, I never knew before. And I had such high respect for. Now I have no respect for it all. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a full circle moment. Yeah. Yeah. Full circle, baby. Circular. How do you and, but okay. no, he's he's great. And I'm happy for his book and his show is great. And yeah, we did. My wife and I did an episode of it uh, not too long ago. The new book out, I Exaggerate My Brushes with Fame. This actually is dropping today, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yep. And I'm, I've been waiting a long time for this day and it's finally arrived. This is kind of a truly amazing idea for a book. And I had, I honestly had no idea you were such an incredible artist. Not, and I mean, the majority of what you do is like caricatures and sketches and stuff, but these are amazing. Like, this is something you would see on the wall, like the comedy store in LA or something. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really my passion. It's been my passion for a long time. I just never cultivated it like I did stand up comedy. Mm -hmm. It's always been there for me. It, I guess in my head, it was always something for me to deal with later on in life and kind of pursue more. And I'll tell you what. When I turned 60, I could hear that clock ticking, even though it was an Apple Watch. <laughs> and I, uh, <laughs> I thought, man, enough talk already, man. You've been talking about this all your life, whatever it is, Spanish or learning how to play the piano or, or you know, doing caricatures, start doing it. And that's what I did. I started getting into all that stuff. And I, I, I just, I love the caricatures. I used to draw on airplanes. I would draw on the barf bag if it was empty and if I would draw on napkins. <laughs> uh, I would draw people sitting next to me on the plane sleeping. And I loved it. And I would put the seat number they were in. I never told, showed it to them or anything. Right. But some of those are in my book. It's just, uh, it's been a really great journey for me. And, um, and um, like I said, I'm taking Spanish for the last year and a half. And, and I'm going to play the piano. So I'm, my life is pretty full. When did you really discover your, you had a knack for uh, drawing? Well, it was really when I was about eight, seven or eight years old. I went into this uh, restaurant and somebody had sketched on a napkin a picture of like a sad sack no. you know, with a big nose and a <laughs> like, really kind of duck lips and a long ch neck, neck. And I loved that. I kept trying to remember how to draw it. And I could draw it perfectly today. And from that, I just started... Um, you know, drawing more and more in school, I'd, I'd kind of draw the maps, the coastline of maps. Uh, and then I would, um, as I got older, I would start drawing, every, I would sketch everything. But it wasn't even a caricature. I would just sketch Notre Dame uh, Cathedral in, in Paris. And and then, um, I, yeah, even during the table reads on SNL, I would sketch the people across from me, Chris Farley or the host in the margins. And that's even in the book. And, um, and then eventually uh, I just decided I would really focus on really following through on these these drawings and have them colorized and really do a, do a good job in that. So I had a few mentors, like one in England and, and uh, one guy, Jason Seiler in Chicago. You got to check out his work. He's great. So when you show your works to the person that you're drawing, uh, are you usually, are they usually cool with them? Because I know celebrities can be a little picky with how they're portrayed. Has anyone ever hated one of your drawings of them? Um, to this point, I think only one person has. Really? I mean, really to the point with don't, do not show that anywhere. Uh -huh. Do not use it in any way or me. Dare, dare we ask who that might have been? I can't tell you that. Tell you that. But, uh, Let the speculation begin. And most of the people love it and they're yeah. flattered. Yeah. I showed Matt LeBlanc his. He said, oh, I love it. I think. 
<laughs> and 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 uh, and then you know, as I was coming out with the book, I had to. I, I wanted to get permission from a lot of people if I could sure. use their uh, their paintings to kind of help me sell the book and promote the book. And everybody was kind of fine with it. Eddie Azard, I mean, not Eddie Azard, but um, Eddie Vedder yeah. uh, loved the painting, and he goes, oh, "Yeah, man. whatever you want to do, man." He loved it. And, it's really cool. Um, Jim Carrey, fine with it. Dana Carvey, Chris Farley's uh, estate. I mean, everybody was really cool with it. And uh, but yeah, I never showed anybody those pictures. I put them on my Instagram, and I never hear back from anybody except for Brad Paisley because he's a friend. Right. And and then as the book got closer, they they needed me to go out and get permission from these people, and it was really awkward because I didn't know what they would think of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I think Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Rami Malek was on the Jimmy Kimmel show one night. And Jimmy's a big fan of my artwork. And Rami was on and he surprised him with one of my paintings of him. He said, uh, well, here's something. I don't know if you've seen this. Kevin Nealon, he's a character artist. He uh, he drew this of you and he held it up. And Rami looked at it and he goes, Kevin Nealon is no longer my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, the cool but, thing about... You know, I, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I've had characters drawn on me, and yeah. I know what my my features are that stand out, and sure. I'm always kind of flattered by it. You know? yeah. Now, uh, you know, in addition to the art that's in this book that is just amazing, you're accompanying most of these photos with, you know, stories that go along with the celebrities and the people that are in these paintings, you know. Do you did you cultivate the stories before the art, or did you do the art and then kind of recollect those stories with those people? I think it was maybe a little bit of both, but okay. mostly it was the, the paintings that I wanted to do. And then I would attach the stories because some of them people I never met before mm -hmm. because they're, they've been gone a long time. And if it was Freddie Mercury, for example, from Queen, I love drawing him and I love that, that caricature. I would just muse about being uh, the first concert I ever went to or being in garage bands. Uh, okay. Okay. Or, 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 you know, having teeth that are not perfectly straight. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, the book is I Exaggerate My Brushes with Fame. On sale now, Amazon.com. Uh, definitely want people to follow your art. Kevin, at Kevin Nealon Artwork on Instagram, too. Now, please don't take offense to this, but I may just buy the book and rip out every page and frame them around my apartment because they are truly cool pieces that I wouldn't want to leave oh, on a bookshelf every day. But, man, this is... That's so nice of you. <laughs> uh, also, you know, I, I will say if, if uh, anyone is interested in purchasing uh, my artwork, they can go to KevinNealonArt.com. Absolutely. Beautiful. And... Uh, yeah, and I got my hiking show coming out on uh, October 27th in a couple of days, the fourth season. Phenomenal. YouTube. Look forward Phenomenal. to it, man. Thanks so much. It was great talking to you. Absolutely. Yeah, you too, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You want to hear more with our interview with Kevin Nealon? It is up in full on the Rocker app and the Rocker Morning Show podcast, also at WRKR.com. Live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 and on demand in the Rocker app. It's the best of the Rocker Morning Show on 1077 RKR. More of the Rocker Morning Show is next on the Rocker 1077 RKR. This is the best of the Rocker Morning Show with Meatball and Mark. Please welcome to the Rocker Morning Show, Phil Rosenthal. How are you, man? Very good. <laughs> How are you guys? Fan great. Fantastic. Phil Rosenthal, executive producer from Everybody Loves Raymond, and now, honestly, one of my absolute guilty pleasures on Netflix <laughs> on uh, Somebody Feed Phil. Welcome to the Rocker Morning what Show, man. What to be guilty about? What are guilty about? Well, I say guilty pleasure. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I, it's almost embarrassing how fast I'll sit down and watch an entire season of that show. <laughs> That's what I want. By the way, you know what I heard? Season six comes out today. 
they told me that one of the things they look for at Netflix is how fast people complete the series. Well, that's, that's interesting. That's like something that's good for the show. So if you want to binge it, I'm not going to stop you. It's very nice. I'll tell you what, I'll binge it twice tonight. How's that? There you go. Put your TV on, leave it on. Absolutely. Well, I'll watch the whole thing, too, because, I, you know, I've been a big fan of this show uh, since I found it. Actually, I found it early parts of the pandemic. So, you know, you had already released a couple seasons of it, and I got to binge it there. And I have, I've, been, I've been obsessed with it ever since. And I just have to ask, because I was telling Mark about the show a couple months ago, how in the world did you come up with the greatest idea for a TV show ever? Oh, it's a, you mean the, the, the scam I've been able to pull off? <laughs> yes, that exactly. Well, it started on an episode of Raymond, actually. We, really? You know, 22 years ago. Yeah. We, we, I asked Ray where he was going for his uh, vacation, and he said the Jersey Shore. And I said, <laughs> have you ever been to Europe? And he said, no. And I said, why not? He goes, I'm not really interested in other places. And I thought, that's <laughs> odd. And then I thought, oh, we got to do that episode where we send... <laughs> Raymond over with that attitude and we send him back with my attitude. So yeah. I'm very excited about travel. <laughs> and so we did. And it took me three years just to get him on a plane because he's a little afraid of flying too. <laughs> but when we got there, the change that I wrote for the character I saw happen to him, the person. Wow. And that's when the light bulb went off and I thought, oh, what if I could do this for other people? Yeah. So that's this show. That's Man. that's great. And that's, that's great about this show is it appeals to everyone because you've, you know, you're eating at you know, Michelin star restaurants, and then you're in the floating markets in Bangkok, or committing couscous crimes you got in somebody's home in, in Marrakesh. Oh gosh! Do you do you tend to gosh. like the foods? The only that are... thing I I like the del delicious. That's my only criteria. Yeah, delicious was... doesn't have a price tag. Yeah, that's true. Very true. I, I was curious if you like the foods more in the upscale restaurants, um, or like those markets or hole in the wall more. As I get older, the simpler the better. Yeah. The, the things that you that you discover, like from somebody selling something on the street, that's the best thing you ever ate. I mean, that's very impressive. Right. right? Where where somebody worked their whole life or maybe they're, 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 these recipes have been handed down for generations. And this is how these people have made their living and they know what's good. And they, that's why people come. It's spectacular. That's cool. I recommend this way of seeing the world because it's so much fun. You're literally when you're eating. You're literally taking in the culture right. of the place. What's something that like maybe an outsider would think is disgusting that you've eaten, which actually ended up being really good? Oh, that's a good question. Usually I just get the question, what did you eat that was disgusting? But, <laughs> uh, let me think. That turned out to be really good. Listen, everybody has different, uh, you know, uh, barometers for that. Sure. Right? So I guess I've eaten bugs. Yeah. In certain places, like I've eaten ants, which, okay. uh, listen, I'm not brave in any way, <laughs> but I also want to be polite and I would never want to insult any culture. And if they eat them there and they're served to me, I'm at least going to try it. Sure. I'm at least going to taste it. Sure. And, you know, nine times out of ten, not only is it not as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it was surprisingly good. I, I like gonna... I had an ant in Japan that tasted like a lemon drop. I I've heard about yeah. those that they they the the part of their body tastes sweet when you bite into it. Well, uh, listen, I took all the courage I could <laughs> to 
bite down on the, an ant. I don't want an ant. I'm still not going to go in a restaurant and order ants. But there was this one ant in this salad, and when it came to me, I thought, oh, does the restaurant have a problem? Terminator? Oh, man. But, uh, they said, no, no, this, this ant tastes like lemon. And my first reaction was, well, if it does, uh, could I have some lemon? <laughs> <laughs> to garnish on the lemonade. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, you got a new book out today, right? It's Somebody Feed Fill the Book. Somebody Feed Fill the Book. Yep. That's awesome. Out today, along with the series. Yeah. That's cool. How much of how much of the book is in the show or like how much in the book is unique from All the show? All of it. There's there's behind the scenes stories of cool. how the show got made and uh insights into where we've been, for, uh photos of course from each place. And then 60 of the most requested recipes from the best chefs in the world oh, from the show. That's so awesome. I think it's an amazing cookbook, yeah. So, you, I mean, there's actually recipes in there for some of these some of these food items that you're seeing around the world. Yes, we didn't put anything with bugs in there. Oh, man. <laughs> Dang Those it. <laughs> Those were not so requested, yeah. Yeah. Now, let me I ask... Could be wrong. Maybe there is one. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you something that's kind of a staple on the show, um, you know, were the jokes that you used to do... Um, or still do, you know, for your dad at the end of the show. Do you have a section in the book for yeah. your dad's jokes? Absolutely. They're, they're oh, like great. in script form. Great. Uh, my conversations with my parents. And then in season six of the show, right. out today, is a special episode with them. So I'm thrilled. Fantastic. I want everyone to see that one. Well, I know we're, we're wrapping up this interview here, and I know you, you end every episode with a joke, you know, for your dad. I have a joke if you don't mind me Please. giving it a shot, I, I'm I sure love it's... I it. Are you kidding? I'm, I love it. I'm sure it's corny and you've probably heard it before, but let me give it a shot. What does the... Why does the Swedish Navy have barcodes on the side of their battleships? Why? It's so they can Scandinavian. Good Lord. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's, it's, it's punny. Oh my dad. It's exactly that. <laughs> It's punny, if and it's my, if my dad hadn't already passed away, that might have done it. <laughs> oh man! Oh, no. <laughs> oh man! It's a terrible joke, but it's one of my favorite. Honestly, it's a great icebreaker at the bar to women too. It's it's fantastic. Iceberg breaker. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Perfect. New book. Somebody feed Phil out now. New season of Somebody Feed Phil out today as well. We appreciate your time with us today on the Rocker Morning Show, dude. Take care. Thank you. If you want to hear more with our interview with Phil Rosenthal about his new book and the new season of Somebody Feed Phil, we've got the full interview up on the podcast at the Rocker app. Live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 and on demand in the Rocker app. It's the best of the Rocker Morning Show on 1077 RKR. This is the best of the Rocker Morning Show with Meatball and Mark. A very special guest. He played on TJ Hooker. He also played Captain James T. Kirk. On Star Trek, he is also the executive producer and host of the Unexplained Welcome to the Rocker Morning Show, Mr. William Shatner. How's it going, man? Mark and Meatball. How are you, sir? How you doing? So well. Are you okay with me calling you Meatball? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, <laughs> that's what I go by, man. Why? <laughs> it's a long story, but the short version is... Um, 
Yeah, make it short because I'm publicizing the, the unexplained. And, <laughs> and calling you Meatball is one of the mysteries of the unexplained. <laughs> yeah, the short version is I had a friend of mine that used to sing. Uh, you remember Adam Sandler singing I Love You Meatball to his dog? I had uh-huh. a I had a, a co-worker that used to sing that song to me every morning, and it just stuck. And that's where Meatball came from. So was it done lovingly? Like Oh, absolutely. Did she coo, did she coo to you? Like... <laughs> <laughs> it was the, meatball, I love you, meatball. Yes, it was very, it was very lovingly in, indeed. <laughs> Along with uh, the name meatballs being unexplained, uh, or at least we got an explanation. The 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 show I'm doing, unexplained, yes, uh, which starts a new season this fr- uh, this Friday, is mysteries that don't have any explanation. <laughs> right. Like if you hadn't said that your coworker, who I understand was a lovely young lady, uh, <laughs> we'll go with that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So that has an explanation, but the mysteries that are all around us, like Friday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, on the History Channel, the new season begins, and it's uh, all about these strange beings that uh, they must exist because so many people over so many years and in so many places have seen strange beings. My favorite is this flying... Uh, the thing they, they they call him meatball, and he, <laughs> they no no it's a uh, Mothman. Oh, okay. And M- Mothman <laughs> is like <laughs> has been seen in many places, many times over many years, and it, there's no explanation. But there are beings that exist on Earth, and they must exist because so many people in different places have seen them. Sure, sure. That, uh, and there's no explanation for who and what they are. That was one of the most intriguing episodes that I've seen. And as executive producer of the show, is this something that you wanted to do that you had a passion for for a long time? Well, I I have suggested many uh, shows uh, that uh, from I, I read a lot and, and both current stuff, newspapers and stuff, and and, uh, and books. And so over the years, uh, I've suggested subjects. I don't think this was one, but there are, there are some things that uh, we're talking about right now that uh, are mysterious sure. uh, that I've, I've uncovered uh, by reading that they will dramatize. We've got an, an order for next season for 40 hours. That's how wow, that uh, popular the, the show is. So we'll be making 40 more hours of mysterious things that that human beings have looked at, wondered about, and never had an explanation to. Sure. If you just joined us, we're talking to the one and only William Shatner. He's got new episodes of The Unexplained that debuts tonight on the History Channel. It's not all monsters and things of that nature. You also talk about some stuff throughout history, too. Uh, one of the more intriguing ones, I think, is on this coming season, uh, Jack the Ripper. You covered Jack the Ripper? I'm glad you said that, yeah. because that's the one that has in, probably intrigued me the most. Okay. This individual who killed uh, several women in the 1800s, the criminal was the hottest thing in London, and everybody was talking about it, and uh, London was fearful for so many years, and there's never he was never caught, but there have been various people who've come and gone that might have been Jack the Ripper. Yeah. One was an American who came into town and left town. It's just a really big mystery as to who Jack the Ripper was, and I found it incredibly intriguing. In fact, on a on one show we might be two we might do two or three mysteries. Jack the Ripper occupies one whole show wow. because of the mystery around 
the individual who was Jack the Ripper is so mysterious. Now, I know there were different theories as to who Jack the Ripper was. Did you come out of that episode with your own theory? No. The the thing about our show is we offer a number of explanations about the possibility of what's going on there, but nobody knows exactly for sure. 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 I mean, there was an American, I've forgotten his name, who was in London at the time, had every reason, we had every reason to think it was him, and then came back to America. Yeah. I feel like I've heard H.H. H. Holmes was one of the suspects that they felt could have been Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Yeah. And we examine that. It's just a mystery. And we hate, human beings hate uh, unexplained things. Uh, <laughs> How do we? And intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's mesmerizing. It's intriguing being told about a mystery that may one day be solved. But not today. Not the day you're watching this show. There's no explanation. <laughs> right. Do yourself a favor and download the entire interview we had with William Shatner right now on demand on the 1077 RKR app. Go enjoy that right now. Live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 and on demand in the Rocker app. It's the best of the Rocker Morning Show on 1077 RKR. This is the best of the Rocker Morning Show with Meatball and Mark. Hey, Mark and Meatball. Hey, hey, good morning. How are you? How's it going, dude? I'm good. We're good. Wendy, it's great to have you back on with us. Don, thank you for joining us today as well. Um, Now, Wendy, last time we talked with you, you know, we kind of touched on the documentary about Ronnie James coming out soon. And now we've got some more concrete information. And on the line with you today, Don Argot, who directed the film Dio, Dreamers Never Die. This is pretty exciting stuff. We're excited. Now, how did you two get involved together, uh, Don? What's your connection to Dio? Um, I, I'm taking it you're a, you were a fan initially. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the thing that sealed the deal for us. Uh, we um, we had done a film a few years back called Believer um, with the lead singer of Imagine Dragons and uh, Kathy Daum, who was the executive at BMG, had seen that film and, you know, BMG was starting to do more uh, original documentaries uh, of artists that they have in their on their roster, and uh, she pitched us a few ideas of uh, projects that they wanted to do, and none were really the right fit, and then she had sent an email asking me, like, uh, any interest in a Dio documentary? And, like, I, you know, I couldn't even believe that I was reading it and let alone like my response was like yes with like a million exclamation points so uh, that's how it all came to be and you know for uh, Kathy probably didn't even know this at the time but you know obviously uh, myself and, and Demi and Fenton who is the co-director of the film huge Dio fans growing up huge metalheads growing up and um, so the fact that like we were being asked if we were interested in a Dio film was like you know like is the you know is the sky blue and you know yeah, yeah a million percent and so uh that from that point forward we talked to wendy and and uh we you know talked about what she was really interested in getting across in this film and you know what was important to her and you know we asked her a bunch of questions about archival materials what we had to work with and you know so we just started working it was very organic and we kind of eased into it and um yeah here we are and then the pandemic happened and you know three <laughs> years later here we are with the finished film so it's um pretty pretty surreal still it's a pretty surreal experience that you know uh, we are tangentially uh you know attached to ronnie james dio in any way 
Yeah, no doubt. Well, I mean, that should have been an easy pick to your kind of the resident heavy metal dude. I know you're involved in the uh, the Pentagram documentary as well. So, yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's great that yeah. you were able to really do something that you were super passionate about, too. And, and, you know, you can express yourself through Ronnie James Dio like that. We're talking to Wendy Dio and the director of the Ronnie James Dio documentary, Dreamers Never Die, Don Argot. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and, and we know it's a huge responsibility. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. we... We were huge Dio fans, and that's, you know, it's such a big deal to uh, be involved in the first definitive Dio documentary, because there hasn't been one. You know, there's plenty of artists that are on yeah. their third or fourth documentary coming out about them, and, you know, there hasn't been one on Ronnie, so, uh, you know, we're so, so thrilled that this is, um, this is happening and that people will finally get a chance to see, you know, Ronnie's story on the screen. Now, Wendy, how did you react once, you know, this story kind of got, you know, prepared and ready to go once Don reached out to you and you guys started talking? What was that process like working with Don on this? Well, I've been approached many times by lots of different uh, directors and producers, but the time wasn't right and they weren't right. And then uh, BMG said about doing a documentary, it's okay, and they brought a bunch of different uh, directors and producers' names to me, and, and none of them were right. And then uh, when I uh, met with Don and, and, and Demi, and, uh, it was right, it, right, it was clicked, and it was right. And the more I got to know them, the more I liked them, and the more we worked together. And um, they did an incredible job. They did uh, what exactly what I wanted and more. Beautiful. And I'm very, awesome. very proud of the project. Now, Ronnie lived a pretty public life. I mean, we get to see him performing, you know, throughout his life in, in Rainbow with Black Sabbath, with Dio. So how much of this documentary is going to be something that even maybe some of the hardcore Dio fans may not know about him? Oh, there's a lot in there. A lot in there. Always, you know, with the doo-wop days and, and uh, footage <laughs> of that, the songs of that. Awesome. Uh, the major horrible car crash that he has that right. made him almost want to give up. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that fans do not know and, and uh, Don can tell you more about that too of what they dug up. They dug up so much stuff. That's right. I'm curious if there's going to be some unreleased footage on the film as well. Yeah, so the, so the special screening that we're doing, uh, we were, we're, we partnered with this company, Trafalgar, who you know specializes in kind of eventizing you know film film projects, uh, and this was uh, I think a perfect film for that, and a you know perfect way to release this film in a limited run theatrical way. And so we're doing two nights only around the world. Uh, the film itself is about you know an hour fifty three minutes, and then there's about fifteen minutes of extra. You know, never you know behind the scenes uh, and and uh, deleted scenes from uh, from the film, so the fans will get a chance to see you know some of the other stuff that was not included in the actual film. As uh, you know, it used to be way, you know back in the day these would be DVD extras, but yeah. that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> this is the way for you to see the uh, deleted scenes. If you want to hear the full interview with Wendy and Don Argot, check it out right now. It is on demand on the Rocker app. Live weekday mornings from six to. 10 and on demand in the Rocker app. It's the best of the Rocker Morning Show on 1077 RKR. This is the best of the Rocker Morning Show with Meatball and Mark. Really cool interview that I've been looking forward to for a while. Tom Felton from uh, the Harry Potter films. Welcome to the Rocker Morning Show, man. Oh, not at all. Thanks for having me. It's good Absolutely. to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, first thing, you know, we want to offer our condolences for, you know, the loss of Robbie Coltrane. Uh, who played Hagrid in in the movies with you? I know you and the the cast were very close with him. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, obviously we were very saddened to hear the news of um, Robbie, but we've all been 
we've all been swapping um, swapping stories about how much fun he brought to the world of of Potter and, and how much he was uh, well, he was larger than life on screen and just as much the same off. Um, you know, you you obviously played an antagonist in the film, so much of your scenes where we see your interaction with him are very, you know, contrarian in character. But like, did you do you have any stories, you know, of him behind the scenes that would offer a better picture of what it was like to work with him? Um, absolutely, he taught us from the day, from the very very first day on set to um, <laughs> not to take this too seriously, <laughs> and uh, he mucked about from the get go. He changed his um, he changed the character name on his dressing room door to uh, to, to Hermione Granger, and insisted <laughs> for the first few days that he wanted to play Hermione and not um, not Hagrid. <laughs> um, he also he also just, he just had a wicked sense of humour. Um, he used to like winding people up and. Uh, and making sure that they weren't quite, they couldn't quite tell whether he was joking or not, but he always was. Um, um, I'm, I'm very grateful for the time we spent together. Sure. Now, the Harry Potter films, you know, were such a huge part in your career, you know, and, and the launching of many other careers as well. You've put out this book, Beyond the Wand, The Magic and Mayhem of Growing Up a Wizard. It literally just came out this week. And now, is this just about your time during the Harry Potter films, or how much of your life and career does this book cover? It's the whole life, really. It's up to I turned thirty-five last week, and it's basically from 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 naught to there. I mean, we <laughs> speak a lot about my family growing up. Um, I did a few films and TV uh, bits and pieces before Potter. Sure. Um, so I speak about a lot about obviously what it what those warm-up years were like, um, how I how I subsequently got the part of Potter, and then the um, well, the ten or eleven years that followed it, and uh, and then after that, the the sort of final. Well, the final chapter so far, really, as far as what, as, as, um, uh, what life's been like post-poster auditioning as an adult and, uh, and sort of going, going through the trials and tribulations of that. Sure, sure. Now, you would have been, was it, uh, were you 12 or 13 when the first movie was filming? I want to say 12, yeah. 12? I think it was okay. 12. I think 13 by the time it had come out, but okay. yeah, 12 when we started. Okay. And now the last one, the last film came out 10 years later. So you dedicated an entire decade of your life, you know, to those films and and I know, you know, obviously it, it's work, you know, so it had its ups and downs for sure. But I know you were very attached to, you know, the crew and the staff and the other cast. But I was curious if, you know, during that time period, now that you've had time to reflect, is there anything that maybe anything that a normal child would have grown up with in like high school and early college that maybe you feel like you missed out on? Um, not really. I mean, I can I can honestly say no. Um, I feel like one of the I feel like I had the luckiest the luckiest part really. Um, not only is Draco a lot of fun to play, he's 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 not in it um, too much. So I was actually able to continue my my normal like muggle schooling, if you will, outside of <laughs> outside of filming. So I would do like two weeks on, and then two weeks off back at the normal. Cool. And other than my luminous hair, um, <laughs> there wasn't really anything to sort of give me away. The fact that I was that I was in these films. So yeah, the, the book opens up with a story of mischievousness um, where I, <laughs> I run into trouble with the law, um, which my mom did not know. <laughs> oh, no. She gave me a, she gave me a right turning to um, when she found when she read that. So yeah, there's, there's definitely there's definitely um, there's just as, just as many ups and downs off off the set as there were on. <laughs> one of the uh, the funnier plots in this book and i think it's kind of been widely known but when you got the role as draco in the harry potter films you actually lied yeah. and said that you had read the books when you hadn't correct that is correct okay now there are thousands 
Sorry, go on. I was going to say, you know, year now we're years down the road, almost, you know, 20 plus years since then. Have you read the books now? <laughs> yes, I have now. Okay, okay. I have now. <laughs> Um, I, I was too cool for school to be reading back then. It really wasn't. It wasn't the thing to be um, to be seen doing. I was twelve years old, going on twenty-one. I thought I was far more interested in skateboarding and all that other other jazz. But yeah, single-handedly, Potter got me back into reading again because I, I love love going up oh, reading. That's... But essentially, the audition was were, were um, they, they were open to anyone who um, who wanted to from England. Sure, so sure. every other auditionee had definitely read. <laughs> the first um, first books so and knew exactly what they were talking about. It only occurred to me when it got to the kid next to me um, when Chris Columbus asked him what he was most excited about seeing from the book into the film that I have no idea what he's talking about. Um, so I just repeated I just repeated what he said and then um, I sort of made a flapping motion and said Gringotts and I think he knew immediately that I didn't know what Gringotts were uh, <laughs> what it is. And um, I think that was that was the first tick of the box. I go, yeah, maybe this kid would be a good Jacob. Oh, that's great. Well, we're looking forward. I'm I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on a copy of this book, Beyond the Wand, The Magic and Mayhem of Coming Up a Wizard. Tom Felton, we are fans of your work, and we really appreciate your time with us this morning. Thanks very much for having me. If you want to hear the full interview with Tom Felton, a.k.a. Draco Malfoy, it is up right now on the Rocker Morning Show podcast on the Rocker app or WRKR.com. Live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 and on demand in the Rocker app. It's the best of the Rocker Morning Show on 1077 RKR.